Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Post-Military Podcast. If you're new here, welcome and thanks for stopping by. This podcast focuses on giving people stories and advice to better prepare for their next major life transition. Currently, we focus on transitioning out of the military and into the civilian world. My guest today was an Army Infantry Officer who transitioned out of the military and into an MBA program. He now works at Lowe's Corporate. In this episode, we talk about his time in the military, his struggles with separating himself from the military, and his advice that we give to others on attending MBA programs and also transitioning out of the military. As always, thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Solemnly swear. Do solemnly swear. That I will support and defend. That I will support and defend. The Constitution of the United States. The Constitution of the United States. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Post-Military Podcast. Uh, my name is Billy, as you already know, and today I am with Dave Curry. Dave, thanks for coming on to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Billy. Of course. All right, Dave, uh, let's just get it started. Uh, tell all the listeners a little bit about yourself. Walk us through that your military career. Sure. So my name is Dave Curry. Uh, I was an infantry officer in the army. Um, I served from 2015 to 2020, uh, commissioned through West Point and, uh, went through all the sort of entry infantry lieutenant training, uh, down at Fort Benning in Georgia. So went to airborne school, ranger school, uh, infantry basic officer leaders course. Um, so, so was at Fort Benning for about a year. Um, and then went up to Fort Drum in upstate New York, served all of my lieutenant time with, with the 10th Mountain Division, uh, served as a, a rifle platoon leader, a reconnaissance platoon leader, and then a company executive officer. Uh, once my lieutenant time wrapped up, uh, pinned captain and then went back down to Fort Benning for the, uh, the captain's career course had some uh, sort of health related issues that I'm sure we'll get into. Um, but that, that sort of concluded my time in the military. I was medically retired out of the army um, in, uh, let me get this right, in, in April of 2020 is when I went on terminal leave um, and then was officially out in June of 2020. Uh, from there, transitioned and, and started kind of my transition process, which I'm sure we'll discuss at length. But but went back to school. I, I went to uh, went back to grad school and got an international MBA from the University of South Carolina. Um, went to their their Moore School of Business there. Uh, so that took two years. While I was there, I interned with Lowe's companies, the the home improvement company that I'm sure most most people will be familiar with. Um, and that's where I work now. I'm a, a project manager. Um, that works within the supply chain organization um, and have been there for just about a year now. So that's kind of me in a nutshell since college um, and happy to dive into all the details, excited to kind of discuss, you know, that timeline in more detail. That's awesome. Yeah. So let's, uh, the first portion of that timeline I really want to zoom in on with you is your, is your time in the military. Um, you went to West Point. So I also went to an academy. Um, you you basically start your adult life getting super duper into the military. Um, sure. And then you get to go be a ground and pounder in the infantry. And what, how did you, I'm assuming you enjoyed your time in the infantry? I did. I did. Um, it was kind of what I had initially aspired to be you know, even from, from high school. My dad was, I was an army brat growing up. So 
Um, my dad was also an infantry officer. I grew up kind of watching, uh, you know, the lifestyle that he led and, and, uh, enjoyed it, thought it was cool. Um, you know, some of my earliest memories are, are from watching him walk off a of DZ at Fort Bragg, um, jumping out of airplanes. So, you know, you grow up and want to do that too. And, and got to do that for a little while. Um, but, but yeah, that was kind of always, I think, kind of in the cards, uh, it was something I wanted to do. Um, and you know, for me coming out of high school, going to West Point kind of seemed like the best way to get that, to accomplish that goal, if you will. Very cool. And what, uh, what did you study while you were in West Point? I was a poli sci major. I did, uh, I studied international relations, I guess, more specifically and focused kind of on uh, special operations was oh, very cool. what I kind of, that, that was what I focused on at least academically. And at the time that was, um, from a career perspective, kind of what I wanted to do, uh, I wanted to go the infantry kind of airborne ranger route and then transition into, into the special forces at some point. Um, we'll, cool. we'll get into yeah. more detail that obviously didn't happen. Yeah, but, of course. Um, That's cool. I mean, uh, we've talked before, but I didn't know that, that was your specialty when I was at, uh, when I was at school, I studied military history, but my specialty was unconventional warfare. So I wrote a bunch sure. of papers about spec off stuff too. So sure. That's really sure. sweet. Um, okay. So then kind of talk, talking about your, so we know what you wanted to be in the military. Uh, what happened that caused you to diverge from that specific path that you had envisioned for yourself? Sure. So, uh, you know, as an infantry Lieutenant, your goal is always to kind of be a, a, to successfully complete your time as a, as a rifle platoon leader. Um, did that. I like to think that I did a pretty good job at it and was fortunate enough to get a, another platoon after that, a reconnaissance platoon. And part of that core, part of that sort of role is, is an opportunity to go to what the army calls reconnaissance and surveillance leaders course, um, or ARSLIC. Uh, got a chance to go to that school, was going through it. it it's a, it's one of the better courses. I think that the army, at least from like kind of a light infantry skill set, has to offer. Um, it was, easily the best training that I got to do while I was, while I was in, um, part of that includes jumping. Uh, we, we jumped out, out of some, some Blackhawks, um, into smaller DZs, full disclosure. Like I have nine jumps total. Some of them were at airborne school. Some of them were at ranger school. And then some of them were art. So like all of them were very, we'll say academic jumps was not an experienced jumper by any means. Um, Long story short, jumping into the final field problem at that at that course, I missed the drop zone, uh, landed in some some tall Georgia pine trees, and got kind of hung up. My canopy collapsed, and then I fell the rest of the way to the ground. So, fell about 35, 40 feet. Uh, I broke my right heel and shattered my L1 vertebrae. Um, uh, had to get surgery pretty quickly. Um, so had to you know got flown to a hospital, got emergency surgery. Um, was fused two vertebrae above and two below. So for, for those that know their, their human anatomy, I'm fused from, from T11 to L3. Um, and that was kind of an unexpected um, thing to, to have happen. Um, was not something, obviously, that anybody plans on, kind of a, a life-altering and, and certainly a career um, trajectory-altering uh, injury. Um, 
the unit that I was in at the time was, was, was great. Obviously it was, was in the hospital for, you know, the better part of a month before I got a chance to fly back to Fort Drum. Um, but once I got back to the unit, they were, you know, pretty understanding that I was going to have to recover. Um, so I got moved out of the reconnaissance PL job, which is, uh, you know, a pretty physically strenuous job. Um, you're, you know, you go out and train in the field a lot. Um, got moved over to a company XO job, which, you know, for, for the XOs of the world, like it's not an easy job either. You're still out in the field, but, but it's a little bit less physically taxing than, you know, what I might've been doing otherwise. Um, so hung out there for two years. Um, basically and I finished out my, my senior sort of first Lieutenant time in that role. Um, and when I went back down to Fort Benning, which I mentioned earlier, I was going back down to do the maneuver captain's career course. So sort of the, the next professional education hurdle that you go through, um, as a junior captain and, you know, the, the next stepping stone after that would be to try to go to your next duty station and take over a company. Um, going into that course, um, I, for lack of a better way of putting it, I kind of threw my neck out during the, the entry the entrance fitness test for that course. Um, so I was walking around like all hodled up with my neck kind of bent over for like the next 24 hours after that test. So I went to the ER. Um, they, they shot me up with a bunch of drugs that kind of helped from a pain perspective and helped me kind of straighten my neck out, but, um, ended up going back ironically enough to the same surgeon that did my, my spinal fusion after my, the parachute thing. And he's like, yeah, you have all sorts of, you know, stenosis in your neck and, and arthritic decay, like issues, <laughs> spine issues, let's put it that way. Um, some of it probably just related to being an infantryman and, and walking around with a rucksack. Some of it also um, very much related to to that that parachute accident in, in 2017. So um, got two more vertebrae fused in my neck, and that was kind of the death nail to my time in the Army. Um, start, pretty much started the, the medical, medical board process right after that surgery. I know people um, who've gotten med boarded with a significantly less vertebrae fused together. So that's, uh, that's, yeah, I've got seven, got seven of them fused. So kind of five in that mid thoracic lumbar spine and then two more in my neck. So that's crazy, um, man. Yeah. I can walk though. So that's good. Yeah, no, um, you're, you look very, you, you seem very, uh, very physically fit and very active for someone who's gone through that. So that's, I mean, very impressive on your part. Um, so once that second, like, as you said, like your death now, once that hit, um, before we kind of dive into what happened in that time period, how long was it from when they told you like, yo, this is probably going to be it for you. And, um, you actually exiting the army. Um, less than a year. Um, and I know, I know for, it varies from case to case, right? Med boards can take six months or less. Some, some of them take a lot longer than a year. In my case, I think they told me probably in August, September of 2019. Um, and then I was like effectively out, like I signed out of Fort Benning and, and on terminal leave, um, in early April 
of 2020. It's kind of right as the pandemic was starting to pick up. <laughs> um, lucked out in that they, at the time, they sort of paused any PCS move. Like you basically just got kind of stopped and, and held where you were with the exception of folks that were retiring or, or medically discharging. So was fortunate in that I didn't get trapped at Fort Benning indefinitely. But um, so yeah, from, from September of 19, we'll say, till about April of 2020. And then, you know, you're on terminal leave for however many months until your actual last day, but um, still less than a year. So once you, in April of 2019, then what did you start, what did you start doing in order to prepare for that transition? And had you started looking or considering the options of leaving the army? I mean, before, I guess let's start there. Before you got hurt the second time, had you ever considered leaving the army due to your injuries or were you pretty sold on like just making it in the army? Um, uh, I flirted with it. We'll put it that way. Um, I'm sure a lot of, a lot of, you know, we'll say young service members, whether it's on the officer or the enlisted side, I'm sure they have days where they're like, man, this sucks. I, I want out. Um, so flirted with it a couple times, but, but never in a, in a serious way. Um, after I got hurt in 2017, I did start to kind of explore other things within the military that I might do that, that could, you know, allow me to stick around and, and, and keep, keep doing what I was doing. Um, I looked at the army's, uh, and I, I think it's true for all the services. They have what's called the funded legal education program, FLEP, um, to try to go be like a, a lawyer, a JAG officer. Didn't get accepted into that. Um, it, I think when that happened, I was I, at that point, I was probably under the realization that 20 years was probably not going to happen. Just physically, I was in enough pain um, to know that I couldn't keep doing the infantry stick beyond, you know, maybe company command, best case. Um, so the thought was, well, I'll go to the career course, I'll go take over a company and I'll get out at the eight year mark. I'll have, you know, full GI bill benefits at that point and can go back to grad school and, you know, whatever. Um, with the, with the neck injury that obviously expedited that. Um, so in August of 2019, when I got told, Hey, your, your days are numbered, um, started looking at, at, at grad school pretty much immediately. Um, uh, you know, I was a poli sci major, not a knock on poli sci majors, but, uh, I didn't want to go be an academic. I didn't, I was an international relations guy. So I, I didn't really want to go work for the state department or the government really in any capacity. Um, so from my perspective, what made the most sense was to go back to, to try to get an MBA, learn something about business and how, how to conduct business. Um, and, you know, use that to, to sort of pivot into a, a, a corporate career. Um, so started studying for the GMAT, um, uh, you know, from basically August, September timeframe until first round admissions for, for MBA programs, I had maybe a month and a half, two months. Um, so didn't study for the GMAT in the way that I probably should have or would have liked to. Um, didn't do particularly well on it, but but did well enough to, to get into the, the program that I wanted to go to, which was the University of South Carolina's uh, international MBA program. Um, 
they're pretty well ranked nationally as far as their international focus. Um, and it's also close to home for me and, and my, my wife, both, both of our folks, uh, my folks and my in-laws, they, they live in Columbia, South Carolina, where the school is. So, uh, was kind of a, a logical destination, I guess, for, for grad school from my view. Um, but the, uh, it didn't take a whole lot of persuading or, or arm twisting. You know, once, once the army said, Hey, you're, you're done, you're getting out. Um, it was like, all right, well, let me figure out w the next thing I need. I, I want to do. Um, and that, that's kind of, yeah, I don't, I don't hopefully that answers no, your, no, no, your no, question. It makes, it makes, no, it makes a lot um, of sense. Like, um, I want to dive into a little bit more of the mechanics, but in terms of sure. your consideration of, leaving the army i mean i get it as someone who went to like if you're enlisted and you did like the first thing you did in your life was join the military out of high school or if you went to a military academy not saying that enlistment and a military school are like equivalent at all but you're very much so thrust into this culture at a very young age and the um at least for me, I had zero consideration of getting out of the military until medical stuff forced me to consider it. So I completely understand where, like, did I have days where I said, man, this sucks? Sure. But at no point was I like, I'm going to go try my hand at literally anything else. So I think I think that a lot of people can resonate with, uh, with that for sure. Um, sure. So when you... It sounds like you automatically, like grad school was like the thing that you were going to do. Um, how did you, how did you know that that's what you were going to do? And did you explore any other options when you knew that you were going to get out? Um, it had always kind of been in the back of my mind. I knew that I, I wanted to go back to get an MBA either, you know, when I was getting out post company command, if that was the route I had gone um, or, or you know, even if I was getting out way down the road at, at the 20 year mark, um, at that point, maybe not, but I never made it that far. So who knows? Um, from my view, it, it was, I'm going to transition into a corporate career. If I look at, at sort of, we'll say corporate leadership across a bunch of different industries, the, the, the common trait tends to be that they have an MBA. Um, and so my thought process at least was, do I want to go back and get an MBA as like a 40 year old when I have to, to continue to progress in my career? Or do I want to just go do it now? It's knocked out and then the sky's the limit. Um, and so I went with that route. I, I for me, it was it, the other, the other component to it is, Hey, I don't really know what I want to do. Kind of, You've touched on it, but you know, from, from, when I was 18 on, I had been pretty steeped and immersed in a, a military lifestyle. And, and that was what I was doing and was going to do. Uh, so hadn't necessarily had a bunch of exposure to other career options and, and career paths and felt like going back to grad school, doing an MBA, getting some kind of corporate internship in the, the summer in between your two years, uh, for me, it just, it made sense. Um, also made sense for, for my family. Um, it just, like I said, like was able to move back home close to, to both sets of parents. I've got two young kids. So, um, it, 
just kind of seemed from a personal perspective seemed like a logical choice but but professionally just going back and getting it knocked out up front felt like the right move yeah that's awesome i mean i think that that's awesome you knew exactly what you wanted to do when you're getting out because it i'm sure that that made your transitionary period significantly easier because you're not you weren't really like gunning for a job immediately trying to figure out what you wanted to do um so sure and it it, from uh I'm hesitant to, to talk to speak on it because I've I didn't use the sort of headhunter firms that are out there and people know who they are, but I I didn't have a good enough for like good enough grasp on what I wanted to do in the corporate sector to be able to talk to a headhunter intelligently and say hey this job out in rural Wyoming I'm not super keen on. Not a knock on Wyoming, but you know, I just like uh, their job is to place you is to place you into a job. If it suits your needs, great. But if you're in the job, better. So that was my approach. The feedback that I'd gotten from folks that preceded me, that you know, had gotten out of the military and gone one route or another, was that you ought to just go back to school and get your MBA. And so I took that advice. Yeah, no, that makes uh, that makes a lot of sense, and uh, I think it's a great route. I definitely think for people who um, are getting out of the military and have the ability to access that education through the GI Bill or um, another program that people aren't as familiar with is VRNE, um, which is just a VA methodology of paying for a degree, which is something that I think people should look at as well. Um, it's a great way to kind of upskill yourself and. Uh, give yourself more time to prepare for your eventual corporate role. Um, When were there any, were there any other things during your transition that you felt like you did really well? uh, Like just from a mechanics perspective that set you up for success post up, like during your transition that you would recommend other people do. Um. So, so my plan was to go, to go to grad school and, you know, that obviously worked out. I'll tell you something I did bad, I guess. Um, That works too. I, (laughs) I didn't really have much of a backup plan. I, if I hadn't gotten into South Carolina, I didn't really apply to any other grad programs. I kind of knew that's where I wanted to go and that was where I was going to go. Um, I didn't have any aspirations of going to sort of a, a top, we'll say a top tier MBA program. Um, I also didn't really have any aspirations of going into like a professional services profession where that's maybe more critical. Um, you want to go work in kind of high level management consulting or, or you know, investment banking, private, private equity. You, you kind of need to go to certain schools. In my case, that I think was less applicable and probably helped, helped me. Um, but yeah, I didn't really have, uh, I didn't really have much of a backup plan. I'll be honest. Um, so when I did get into school, I was very excited. Um, <clears throat> stuff though that I did do well. Um, I, I obviously got medically retired. Right. But, but I think this is probably applicable for anyone, regardless of the mechanism that you're getting out through is, is get stuff documented through, through your, your primary care manager. So if you've got aches and pains and, you know, weird little thorns in your side that, that everyone does, whether you're in the military or not, 
um, get them seen and, and don't, you don't have to wait till you get out for that to happen. You know, if you go uh, one example, right. I, I served my time up at, at Fort drum. It's very cold up at Fort drum. You still go train in the cold. Um, and my very first field problem out, I did not bring the right stuff and my feet got really cold, like messed up cold. Um, never went and saw anybody. Um, I, to this day, don't know what was wrong with my feet. They were numb for like a month after that field problem. Never went and saw anybody cause you know, whatever, I'm brand new Lieutenant, like they'll warm up eventually. Right. Um, my feet still get messed up in the cold and none of that was ever documented. Can't claim anything. Like if, if it gets cold, my feet get numb and stay numb almost immediately. Um, <clears throat> which is fine. It's not debilitating, but it's probably something that the VA would have paid, paid me for from a, from a disability perspective. And at the end of the day, like if that kind of stuff happens, which it does, it's, you know, that's kind of what they're there to do, you know? So it's, um, that would be, I guess, my one sort of piece of advice that, that I maybe didn't do as well as I, as I could have from the outset was just, Hey, if you're, if you're hurt and like, there's a difference between being, being hurt and injured, but if you're kind of erring on that injury side and there's something wrong, that's nagging, go get it checked out, get it documented. Cause when you do go see a VA claims person, when you're on your way out the door, um, you bring all that stuff back up and, and it, it all adds up, um, from a sort of monetary perspective, it, it can help in a big way. The, uh, yeah, the, the greatest piece of advice I got when I was doing my VA stuff, because I had a, I, I had some very like interesting, almost guilt associated with it. Cause I mean, I'm going to be honest, my, I was a cyber guy. So the closest I ever got to combat was logging into a server that was in like one of our bases in the middle East. And, uh, so like when I'm going to the VA, I'm like, I didn't, I, I'm not like, there's people that are like getting shot and getting blown up sure. and people in Ford drum freezing their literal toes off. Uh, so a uh, great piece of advice I got from a vet though was, like the VA process isn't, isn't like this zero sum game. Like if I pursue my, me getting V me getting disability is not going to, they're not going to go, Oh, well, just cause you did this like infantry guy without a leg is not going to get disability. Um, and I think for a lot of people, uh, I would encourage them that, that like, I understand where you're coming from. Certainly from that, like that, like guilt perspective. And I think that that's a great, thing that we have coming out of the military, but, um, you did your time. So go get your, like, don't be scared to go pursue that disability because again, you're not going to take away from anyone else. You're only going to take away from yourself. So sure. just keep that in mind. But, yeah, uh, I agree completely. Yeah. What, um, so Besides uh, getting really involved in the VA process, which I think is which I think is awesome, um, is there are there any other things that you feel like you did well in your transition that you would recommend others do? Um, I, I think it depends on what you want to do, right? If you want to go back to grad school, whether it's to go to you know to study whatever, but but we'll say business school in in, in particular, since that's kind of the route I went. Um, if it's something, you know, you want to do, um, 
I would say start studying for the GMAT now. Um, having to revisit high school math um, when you're seven, eight years removed from high school math was was more painful than it should have been. Um, at the time, like I, you know, like I said, I, I didn't necessarily have any aspirations of getting out immediately. Um, for me, that requirement to take the GMAT and try to get into grad school was kind of thrust upon me. Um, but the GMAT, and I, I don't know the, the the years off the top of my head, the GMAT is is good for, I think, four or five years. Um, I want to say the same is true for the GRE. Um, so if you're able to study for the test on your own terms, do well on the test better than I did. And it just, it opens up doors, right? Like the higher, the higher your scores are on some of those tests, whether we like it or not, it, the more likely you are to get into to certain target schools. And if, if that's something you want to do, then do it. Um, so that, again, that's not something I necessarily did well, but, but I think I will say, I think having a plan, knowing that, Hey, that's what I wanted to do and having like a, a pretty set path on the, the hurdles I needed to hit in order to get into grad school and then get into business school specifically. Um, I, I pretty quickly mapped that out and then hit the hurdles. Now I didn't get over them well, but um, at least not in the case of, the, at least not in the case of the GMAT, but, but ended up on my feet and, and, you know, was able to, to kind of drive on. Um, so, and having that plan is, is gonna, it's gonna look different depending on the path you want to go. Like, uh, like I've said, business school was the route I went and that was, you know, having a plan will help. Yeah. Do you, um, do you think if you had, if I could say, Dave, I'm going to let you go back, but you can, the only thing that's going to change is you can pick the amount of time you have to prepare for your transition. Uh, do you think that under a year is enough time or how much time do you think you would have needed to really do it better? Um, probably a little bit more time. And the only reason I say more is, is the, the time that I did have, a lot of it was occupied with, you know, going to medical appointments, going to VA appointments. And you also have to fit in, in the army's case, it's called SFL tap. Um, I don't know if it's called that in other services. It's called tap. It's okay. So the, the transition assistance program, um, which it has its utilities. Um, but in the case of the goals that I kind of wanted to accomplish, it wasn't super helpful. Um, but there are some really good certifications and programs that if you have time, you're able to take advantage of. In my case, I just didn't have time for me. It was all kind of like check the box as quickly as I can here, sign this form, you know, and, and get out the door. Um, if you're able to take advantage of some of the programs that, that tap offers, do it. Um, particularly if your chain of command is, is willing to, to, to sign off on it. One of the programs that's out there and, and it's, uh, it was kind of new as I was getting out is the skill bridge program. Um, I'm not smart enough on it to, to speak intelligently about it, but I know that some of the, some of the programs that are available through the skill bridge program, um, can, can really set you up for success. Um, whether you want to go be, you know, whether you want to go get a CDL or a forklift license, or whether you want to go do an internship with like a big three consulting firm, 
um, there's there's kind of a varied number of experiences that you can get through that program and some will help you you know as sort of pre-mba kind of kind of gigs some of them you know if you want to transition right into the workforce there are also great opportunities through that program um so from my perspective it would have been nice to have more time just to, to kind of lean on and take advantage of some of those programs I obviously didn't get that luxury but but yeah, more more time w- would not have been a bad thing, at least in my case. Yeah, I I completely agree. I had about a year to prep for my transition, and I think I got lucky. And so I think for most people, if you have the luxury of time prepping for your transition, you should probably take about two years to do it because you'll want the first year to really ideate on plans and then the second year to actually execute. And um, to everyone out there, Dave is not lying when he says that, like, Things come at you fast and you get pressed for time very quickly during your transition. So do not do not let this like do not leave all of this to the end because you probably won't have time like you're you really won't. And uh, especially if you're in a high demand role um, in the military and they're not going to give you the luxury of prepping or like stepping away to prepare for your transition. um, You definitely want to start preparing early. yeah, it's uh, it's it's definitely necessary. No, also the next thing for everyone out there, um, there are other episodes where we talk about Skillbridge very deeply. So uh, great, listen. Visit, to those yeah, episodes. get the yeah, yeah <laughs> go to the uh, post military playbook and check out I'll, the. I'll, uh, I'll check. plug Billy's other episodes. Go listen. <laughs> Thank you, to Dave. Them. Yeah, <laughs> that's the clip. That's the clip that we're going right, to put on right. social media. Go listen to Billy's episodes. Um, <laughs> so. Uh, the last question I want to ask you about your prep prep for transition is um, did, other than the school that you eventually went to was close to family, which I think is a phenomenal holistic life reason to go to that MBA program. Um, why were there any other factors that um, for you going into uh, South Carolina specifically? Um. Sure. So I get to do my my 30 second plug for the University of South Carolina. So the the Darla Moore School of Business is the the business school there. They have the the number one ranked international business program in the country for undergrad students. And then for for grad school, they have the number one ranked international MBA program in the country. What is an international MBA? It's it's a two year MBA, but where the focus of the coursework is is very much on global business versus you know we'll say domestic. Um, there's not a lot of schools out there that have a, a uh, we'll say an international specific MBA program. Of the ones that do, we're a pretty good one. Um, but the the curriculum's great. The coursework was was great. Um, the the professors that they have are are top notch and and very good at what they do. Um, I always kind of knew about South Carolina because I was you know I grew up in Columbia. That's kind of where I was from, and so I'd always heard about their international business programs and and so for me I I guess I kind of had a leg up and that I already knew about the program. I knew it was a high caliber um, offering, but. Um, and then the other, I guess, component to it is, uh, so well-ranked program, right? But they also have sort of specific, uh, concentrations that aligned with what I wanted to do. 
Um, I, I knew I kind of wanted to focus on supply chain operations management, um, and they have a pretty strong supply chain and operations curriculum, um, both at the undergrad level, if you're, you know, getting out and trying to go back and get your bachelor's, or if you, you know, already have a degree and want to go back to grad school, um, their supply chain curriculum is pretty strong. So, um, those were two, I guess, outside of the personal reasons for wanting to go there. Um, I, I knew it was it was a good school. The other, I guess, component to it, and it, it's not specific to USC, but but any MBA program, um, there's kind of three routes you can do. You know, like uh, an extended night school kind of route, which some folks do. Um, if you're working professionally already, um, most most schools are going to offer some kind of one-year program that's also probably a night school um, where it's kind of a professional MBA. And then in my case, the the degree that USC offers that is a two-year program is that international MBA. And I knew I wanted to do the two-year program in order to get a, a corporate internship. Um, for those, that, I guess, that aren't familiar with, with business school, the, the, the whole aim of that in between the summer in between your two years you go do probably a 10-week corporate internship is basically a really long job interview um you get paid it's great like it, it helped pay for kind of the second half of grad school at least some of the living expenses um but it's it's also a way for you to get a job and have a job through that second year and you know kind of you kind of know where you're going to go after you graduate um so in my case, was able to go to Lowe's, um, which was kind of a target company even before I went to grad school. I, I kind of knew that the Charlotte, North Carolina area was a place I was interested in. And, and there's a handful of large companies that, that have presences there, but Lowe's is one of the bigger ones. Their, their corporate headquarters is just north of Charlotte. So um, got a chance to intern there, or intern there excuse me, and, and I like to think that it went pretty well because that's where I am now. Um, but for me, that was a big factor, regardless of the MBA program I went to. I wanted to go to one where it was a two-year program that you know had that option to to do a, a corporate internship. Yeah. Do you? Um, what do you think uh, for someone who's listening? Who's like, man, business school sounds tight. Like, I want to go work for Lowe's now. Um, what? What would you recommend to that person now that you've done it and now that you're kind of looking at it uh, with hindsight 2020, what would you recommend someone should do to evaluate business schools so that they can like, what should they be looking at? What should they be paying attention to um, so they can make an informed decision on where they want to go? I would say shoot, shoot to go to the highest ranked business school that you can go to. Um, And the reason I say that is, is, a high caliber MBA is is worth its weight in gold. Um, the the peers and the the classmates from from West Point that I had that I have that have gotten out and have gone to, we'll say the Stanford's, the Harvard's, the the Sloan's of the world. Um, uh, there's sort of the top like seven or so business schools, and they're the schools you probably think of. They're you know Harvard, Stanford, Chicago. Sloan, which is at MIT, um, a handful of others, that you're going to come out of that that program making well into the six figure range. Um, you're also going to work hard, 
you know, once, once you're in that kind of role, like you have to work to make that money. Right. But, um, if, if your goal is, I guess, to transition into, we'll say a really good paying corporate job, the higher ranked school that you go to is probably a general rule of thumb is probably going to yield better results. In my case, I wasn't necessarily looking to get into one of those target industries that, you know, pays that kind of, that kind of salary. I get paid comfortably. I you know, live in a great house and, and live where I want to live and have a good lifestyle. But um, in my case, I guess I decided to go where I went for factors, you know, that maybe went beyond just the education itself. But the rankings really don't don't lie uh, is what I would offer, I guess, as, as a succinct answer to that question. If you can get into a top seven, great, do it. They're expensive. The GI Bill will cover some of them what I would offer is that student loans in that case are probably justified because you're going to make enough money to pay those student loans off. Um, but a top 25 school is also really good. Um, you know, there are programs outside of those sort of top seven that, that are also worth their weight in gold. Um, I don't actually know where, where South Carolina is ranked. Um, uh, the only one I kind of tracked was the international MBA program because that's the de the specific degree I went after. But um, it, wherever it's ranked, it was ranked high enough for me to get in uh, to the to the job that I wanted to to do. But um, I guess yeah, as a general rule, I would say go to the business school that you know is where you want to go to school. Like if you want to go to school in Texas, don't go to school in Minnesota. It's a very different place. Um, but uh, try to, I guess, get as high up on that ranking list as you can, because employers understand what that what that ranking means. And, and in most cases, again, industry dependent, they're they're probably willing to pay a premium for some of those higher target schools. Um, yeah, that's I, I guess. Uh, yeah, I'll leave it at that. Nice. Yeah. The, the only other thing I would add to that, that I think that you did really well that I would encourage others to do is uh, there are certain NBAs that do specialize in certain areas of business. And if, yeah. so if you have a plan and you know, like, for example, if you think, man, I really want to work in startup land, like I want to be in a tech startup and make the next Snapchat. Uh, Stanford's a really good place to go do that. They have a ridiculously deep, um, design and startup community. And a lot of these Stanford professors are folks that have literally been successful startups. So I'm only saying that because I went to a Stanford program. So like, sure. Got them. Uh, there's no, my plug, but, but, but yeah. definitely, definitely agree. Like there are, there are schools that are very industry specific. Um, uh, another example is Wharton, um, the university of Pennsylvania, top, top tier MBA program, if you want to go work in high finance, go work at Goldman Sachs, you know, and and all of their their peers, go to Warden. Um, you got to get into Warden, which is a trick, but um, that that's you know, as a general rule, they're kind of a big finance school. So is Columbia. Um, you want to go work in management consulting, you know, Harvard's a good bet, um, but so are any of those other top tier firms. So. Um, yeah, I guess that would be a, a, a yeah. That's a good additional sort of nugget is know the industry you want to go to, and then pick a school that that you know places well 
um, into those those types of jobs. On the supply chain side, I guess I can speak about that a little bit more intelligently um, since that's what I do. Um, South Carolina does have a good program. Uh, University of Tennessee has a good program. Uh, Michigan State has a good program. Um, and there's a handful of others, but but if you're looking to get into sort of the supply chain world, uh, those are, I guess, three good places to start. And, you know, your search can go on from there. But that's awesome, man. Thank you so much for all this information. And uh, yeah. yeah, I think I think the MBA route is really cool, um, especially I don't think a lot of people understand um, and like what you got, which is these business schools lead to internships and those internships lead to jobs. And I think that that in and of itself is very valuable um, in a piece of the business school paradigm that not a lot of people pr coming out of the military probably understand. So I, I think it's really good to highlight that. So talking about um, kind of going out of the mechanics of your transition and now getting into your post-transition, um, sure. what, I guess, like the first question um what was it like getting that like for you emotionally? What was it like getting out of the military? Like obviously the the army broke up with you. Uh, right, so right. what like what was that initial time period like for you? Um, uh, I'd be lying if I said it wasn't it wasn't challenging. Um, I guess I had kind of the blessing, both a blessing and a curse that that my we'll say transition out was was prolonged. Um, it, it very much started when I broke my back, like that, that was, that was the beginning of the end, if you will. Um, and that was obviously very traumatic in a number of ways, like as a pre-traumatic injury physically, um, mentally very, very difficult to process, uh, you know, how, and in, in, you know, what way that was going to alter my, my career path. Um, and whether or not I was even going to have a career or for how long, all of those were, were very much, you know, unanswered questions. Um, through all that, my wife was amazing, just a rock of a, of a woman in, in every way. Um, and, and was super supportive, um, you know, served as kind of a sounding board for, for ideas and concerns and, you know, was a shoulder to cry on. Like it's just, um, so I guess beyond that sort of initial trauma, um, it was then kind of slowly coming to the realization that, hey, like I'm recovered at this point. Here I am, you know, a year plus, but like I can't wear body armor and a helmet and a rucksack for more than, you know, a couple hours without being in real pain. Um, and like as an infantry officer, like you kind of have to do that. like at all echelons of your career, whether you're a Lieutenant or a brigade commander, like you got to wear plates and a helmet and go out and train with the guys. Um, so for me, it was kind of slowly coming to that realization. Like eh, if I'm going to stay in this and do it long-term, I gotta, I gotta get out of this and, and do some physically less strenuous. Cause I, I just, you know, lack of a better way of putting it, like I can't hang. Um, so that was where I started to explore some of the other alternative routes in the army, um, whether it was, you know, going through with like a branch transfer, looking at certain programs like the funded legal education program where, you know, hey, maybe they'll pay for my my JD and I can go be a JAG officer. Um, when all that stuff didn't work out, that was where I kind of knew, 
right, I'm probably going to, I'll try to make it through company command and then I'll, and then I'll be out. Um, and, and, and I always kind of knew like at that point, that was, I guess, where I started kind of flirting with the idea of I should go back and get an MBA. Um, what I wish I had done at that point was start to prep for the GMAT and, and, you know, kind of diligently prepare for it in, in a way that I didn't. Um, cause, cause it would have still been valid when the time came to get out, you know, at that eight year mark. Um, once, I guess once I got to the point where, where, you know, you get told you're, you're getting med- medically retired, um, I knew I was getting out, right? Like I knew I wasn't making it to 20 years. It was just a matter of kind of when, um, when am I getting out at that point? And so in my case, the army made that decision for me. Um, I'll be honest, hindsight, I'm glad they did. Um, cause I don't know if I would have gotten out when I did, if, if I hadn't been told that's what was happening. Um, and, uh, in my case, I think the grass the grass is greener. Like I, I I'm in a job that I love. I'm, I have I would say a better work life balance now than I did in in the military. Um, you know, anyone who's listening to this is very familiar with some of the hours that you work when you're active duty, and and I don't work those hours anymore. Um, so like that's that's a that's a win I guess for me and and the family, but. Um, it, yeah, I mean, I, I guess in my case, like it, I was told, yeah, you're getting out. And so for me, it was pretty easy to rationalize it at that point. There are obviously like some bittersweet components of it. Um, I'd be lying if I didn't say there was like a, just a little bit of a lump in my throat when I drove off Fort Benning for the last time because I was just like, yeah, this is it. Like I'm I'm done. Um, and, and, you know, it's a, a career path and a lifestyle that I'd, you know, put a lot into at that point, my, my entire adult life, you know, had, had been in the military. So, um, that was a tough pill to swallow. I think what made it easier though, was knowing that I was moving on to the next thing, right? I think I would have been much more uncomfortable driving off Fort Benning for that last time without a plan and without knowing what I was going to go do. Um, in my case, I knew I got like two months and then I'm going to start grad school. Um, going back to school bridge, it would have been great to throw like a two month kind of learning experience into that, into that break instead of just sitting around. Um, but it was also kind of a nice break to hang out with the family, I guess. But, um, so yeah, I guess, uh, emotionally for me, it was a very long drawn out process, um, that was, had a lot of sting at the beginning, um, before I even knew I was getting out. Um, just because of, you know, all of the stuff that we've sort of talked through by the time it, it came time to actually get out, it was, it was just, you built up to it. Yeah. There was, there was sort of a level of acceptance there that, that might not have been there if it had just happened, you know, really, really abruptly. What do you think, what do you think you did? What do you think you did well to start separating yourself from that, like, version of you that was this infantry officer that like you had envisioned this career path all the way like before you had gotten into West Point and when the door kind of slammed very abruptly shut on that um what do you think you did well to handle the emotions of separating yourself from that part of your identity that you kind of built up in your mind 
Um, uh, so in, in my case, right, I got injured when I was in like a sort of a student status at Fort Benning. So I didn't really have a job. I was there to go to a school. I wasn't in the school. So I kind of checked in, went to formation. People made sure I was still alive. And, you know, then I, I kind of went on my way, went to whatever appointments I needed to go to. Um, I ended up getting transferred over to like an actual unit at Fort Benning. I got transferred over to a basic training uh, brigade. Um, and so I had like, f for, for a captain, I'll say I had pretty clerical work, um, that I was given. It was like, Hey, we need you to do this, this, and this. And I was like, all right, cool. It took an hour. I was done. And then, you know, kind of sat around until I had to go to my next appointment. Um, I guess it, that was really boring and very frustrating as, as one might imagine, but it also, the, the, the blessing in that was that I got to kind of, for better or worse, dissociate from the army prior to getting out. Um, obviously not everybody has that luxury. Um, if you're in an actual, like if you're in a line unit, you're not going to probably have that luxury. You're probably going to be working up until the very end. Um, in my case, I, I, I was able to, you know, sort of focus on going to the appointments I needed to go to, all of which focused on getting out of the army. Um, and so that kind of became, I, I guess, my my daily focus and my objective, at least at work. It was, hey, I'm not going here to do really any like meaningful work that, that we'll say benefits the army. It's more to make sure that I'm checking all the right boxes so that I can get out, get out the door in the way that best suits and best serves me. That makes sense. Um, you really start thinking about Dave, the individual, not Dave, the guy. Yeah. Who's like, yeah. And I mean, Dave, it's when you're, army. when you're given the, the, the luxury of time, you can think about that. Right. Um, like I said, not everyone that's getting out of the military is going to have that luxury. In my case, I was very fortunate to, to kind of be in that position. Um, but you know, by the time the day came, um, it, it it was an idea, you know, me being out of the military, an idea that I was pretty comfortable with. Um, so do you, um, so when you, when you finally got out, drove off, uh, drove off the base for the last time, uh, and then you started going to school, what was it like? Did you find it easy to kind of drop into that student role or, um, did you have any, did you have any kind of issues moving on from like you as a captain in the army to you're an MBA student who just students now? Um, I guess yes and no, right? Like the, the army is a very structured, you live a very structured lifestyle and that's true of anyone in the military. So for me, I'd grown very accustomed to waking up, doing PT in the morning, you know, having an early start to the day. Once that, and you're just required to do that in the military, right? Like it's just a, it's a component of what we do. Once the forcing function for that was kind of gone, where it was, I have to go to morning PT. I have to wake up at five o'clock in the morning. I still worked out, but I was much more, I guess, leisurely about it than I would recommend. That aspect of it was bad, right? Like I, it was just, it was, there were significant lifestyle changes that I would guess I was able to make that really weren't that great. Like 
going and working out once a day for an hour or two is is uh, is something I would recommend. It's a good thing, especially if you like to you know eat and drink and you know be social. Like it, it's hard to do that and not work out and have things work out physically in a in a good way. Um, so I'll leave it at that. But um, that that I guess was a negative aspect, right? I got out. Uh, was able to kind of do what I want. And, and at least in that area, it wasn't great. Was able to kind of get back on track. Um, I've run a lot now, um, you know, go work out pretty regularly and, 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 st- and actually have gotten back to waking up early. Cause that's, I've got two kids and that's kind of the time where I can go work out. Um, but the, the, I guess, so, so that was sort of the negative side. The other, I guess, component from a, a mental perspective, it, it's tricky to, um, I had some, I, I, I enjoyed all of my peers at school, right? But, but all of us come from, came from very, very diverse backgrounds. It's one of the benefits of, of going to a business school, I would say in person is that you get to interact with and socialize with folks that are all very intelligent, but from just wildly different backgrounds. Like I was an infantry officer in the military. There were some other military folks that were also from very different backgrounds. I went to school with a, you know, a Lieutenant Colonel who was a finance Lieutenant Colonel and worked at the Pentagon and, and was there getting his MBA like in a year. Um, great guy. Um, if he ever listens to this, he knows who he is, but, um, but then went to school, you know, with some folks that were from the Peace Corps and the Peace Corps is great, but it's it attracts a very different person from, from, you know, that you typically, that you typically see in the infantry. Um, folks that had consulting backgrounds, folks that were bankers, some folks that had their own business. Um, so like that aspect of things was, was awesome. But the, the flip side was that the personality traits are very different. Um, in some cases, maybe not that compatible. Um, Cause you're, you're asked to work in a, in a team setting almost all the time in business school. Um, pretty much every class project or paper was some kind of group project, which um, is good. Um, there are times where it's not great, but in, in the corporate world, like you're working in a team setting almost all the time. I mean, unless you're like a very specific, like data centric kind of role, um, maybe you're more individualistic then. Um, but at least in the work that I do now, what I did in business school pretty, pretty closely mimics what I do now. Um, so that aspect of things, I guess, took some adapting to just not because I wasn't used to working in a team, but I was used to working with a bunch of other infantrymen and we were all kind of wired the same way. Um, You're rather for, aligned. Right. For, for better or worse, we're, we're not that dissimilar. Um, and so that, that took some getting used to. Um, nothing that, you know, I think if you're a pretty sociable, sociable person, that shouldn't be that challenging. Um, in my case, it, it was it wasn't challenging so much as it was just different. Um, and you know, me having to kind of understand that it's different and just deal with it. Um, I'm trying to think about other stuff. Um, schedule wise, I already kind of touched on it. Like you're, you're a student. So you're, uh, in my case, I was a student with two kids and a wife, which was very different from most of my classmates. Um, so 
when a lot of my peers were maybe going out to happy hour, I was not. Um, I was I was at home with with the wife and kids. Being responsible, right, right. Being being a responsible adult. Um, just a different experience. So, so like I guess my my social experience in grad school was was probably different from what you would typically experience, um, but. It, I think it helped me because it forced me to be very, very organized with my time. Um, I ultimately kind of got into the routine after my several month break from working out and just, you know, being, being diligent in that area of my life. Um, got back kind of into the routine of waking up early, going and working out, then go to class down, you know, downtown. I live probably about 20 minutes from where I went to school, do my day's worth of classes, come home, hang out with the kids, eat dinner, um, do, you know, whatever kind of personal stuff I needed to get done for the day. Once the kids were in bed, I went into the office and I worked, um, and would work until, you know, 1130, 12, some nights, some nights later. Um, and that was just kind of my existence for, you know, the two years that I was there, got into a really good routine, probably not a lifestyle that I'd want to sustain, staying up till midnight, reading, you know, weird finance texts and, and stuff about marketing is not, it's not it, but, um, you know, worked, worked for me, but, but, uh, that, that I guess is going to vary depending on, on the person you are. If you're not married, you don't have kids, your schedule in grad school is probably going to look very different from what mine looked like. Um, I know my, some of my peers, that's certainly the case. Um, but um, yeah, I, I'm kind of rambling, I guess. I think it's great. I yeah, know it's awesome, man. Um, something that I'm really interested in, and I think that this is something that anyone who's gotten out of the military can really, um, what you're talking about, about your like peers. Um, something that no one in the military, I, I don't think we really, we don't, people might think about it, but I don't think you really understand until you're out, out of, out and about in like the big wide world is we're like less than 1% of the American population, which then makes us some infinitesimally small portion of the global population. And it's like, sure. it seems like your world revolves around the military while you're in it. And then you get out and there's people who are like, so like, what is that? <laughs> and I think that for you experiencing that in grad school is crazy. So what, like, how did you, how, one, how did you, like, did you ever talk about your military experience? How did you translate that into a way that was like, um, if you did, how did you translate that in a way that was understandable to people who were like, I don't even know what you do. Like, right. yeah. Um, so I'll take, I guess, the first part first, where in talking with folks, nine, like to your point, 99% of the time, they they know you're a veteran. That's kind of it. That's It's very surface level, and it pretty much ends there. Um, I would offer that it's that, that dynamic is very similar in the corporate world, too. Um, no one that I talk to, unless they're also a veteran, really knows, you know, if I say, hey, I was an infantry officer in the army, like, that's way more detail than they're looking for. They're like, oh, you were in the army. Cool. Like, that's Sick. on the land. Yeah. Um, <laughs> or, oh, you were in the Navy. That's on oh, a boat. Oh, you're on a like, boat. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like, that. that's that's the level of understanding that I guess most civilians probably have. And, and I, you know, I don't blame them. Like, that's 
That's just that's just the reality. Um, so that was very, uh, and wasn't something I was I, I wasn't you know kind of prepared for. I guess you know you, you get out and you're like I said, like there's folks from the Peace Corps who you know were were in all you know ironically we had a handful of folks in my cohort who were in the peace corps and all of them were great they all worked in very different parts of the world had very different experiences but but from my own very different experiences as well like they we didn't have like career compatibility i guess um I don't want to pick on the peace corps um but but uh they uh they had like no grasp of what i did Right. It's like it, it, just using them as an example, like if I talked to him, I, I had to kind of explain things in, in, I guess, terminology that they would understand in the same way that if they were talking to me about building a well, like I have no frame of reference for what, what, it, what, what goes into building a well. Um, so that aspect of things was, was kind of new, but, but also a good thing. I think in my case, it, I was, in, I wasn't in some echo chamber, right? Like I was, I was interacting with other people from different backgrounds and got pretty good at explaining kind of at a general level, what I did in the army. Um, and also, you know, in a similar way, understanding what other people did and what their backgrounds were. Um, the, the other component of what you kind of asked about is, is kind of, describing um what i did and I, I guess i would use kind of like my resume as a really good example right my if i were writing my resume in sort of military jargon it would look very very different and it, i would know exactly and and you probably would too just about anyone who's listening to this podcast would understand you know i might even be able to just throw the acronyms up there and people would still know what i what i'm talking about um if I tell someone at my job right now that I was a platoon leader, they will look at me like a deer in the headlights. Um, again, unless they're a veteran, then they might understand. But um, so like that gets sort of rebranded as operations manager, right? Or or if I was a I was I was like a, an assistant brigade S three for a while, um, very briefly, kind of at, at Fort Benning towards the end no one knows that an S3 is like an operations officer. And even then in a military context, like an, an operations officer doesn't have a great civilian equivalent. So in that case, I'm like a senior operations manager or something. And it, it's kind of a, it's a misleading job title, right? But it's something that I guess carries a little bit more weight with, with a civilian who's maybe more familiar with analyst, manager, director, kind of hierarchy um, as far as job titles are concerned. So some of it is just as simple as that. It's kind of rebranding the jobs that you had into something that makes sense in in the civilian space. Um, another thing I think is just trying to kind of, uh, in whether it's on your resume or whether you're just talking to other folks, trying to adjust the language so that someone can relate to what you're talking about, right? Like if I went to, if I went up to someone who's in the military and said, yeah, I was an XO and I kind of managed the company like property and the supply, the supply functions and the weapons. In my case, you know, I was a rifle platoon leader or a rifle XO. So we had a lot of weapons in the company. Um, no one's going to understand what that means. So like 
trying to explain what you did kind of in a, hey, this was like um, one of the better, I guess, better examples I got told this was in prepping for interviews was, was use star statements where um, you're kind of given us, you give the person a scenario, the task that you had to accomplish, what you achieved or how you achieved it. And then the result that was achieved. Um, and you can do that with anything, right? Like you can do that if your background is corporate, you can do it if your background's military. But I think what the key, the key with military folks is putting, um, putting what you did in the military into that kind of format so that it's more clearly understood and, and they may not get all the vernacular, but if you're able to show that you kind of accomplished, you know, you achieved some kind of result. Um, and if you can clearly convey what that result was, um, I've found that percentages help with that. You know, if, if, you know, if we, went to a range and the platoon qualified, you know, 90% of them qualified expert. You just change expert to, you know, they showed proficiency or something like that. And, and you, you just, you retool some of the descriptors that you might commonly use to, um, to align with, with speech that people actually know and are familiar with. I think that's the, for me, I guess that's the biggest thing is, is taking the, the, the military jargon and translating it into into terms that people will actually use and you really need to have the empathy and take the time to understand to really look at what you're saying and this is going to be hard for people who the military with the military has been their entire life it's like look at what you're saying from the perspective of someone who's never been in the military and if the words you're using don't make sense you need to change them to use words that make sense. And I think yeah. that a lot of yeah. people have a hard time doing that because they've never taken the time to understand what are people, how do people like, how much do people actually know about what we do um, just from a general military sense. And then if you die, if you're from like a really obscure career field in the military, man, no one knows what you do. <laughs> like, sure. Yeah, no, ab absolutely. Um yeah, I, I, I echo that completely. Like, I think you used, the, you used a great word like empathy and, and having, I guess, the ability to understand that it's okay for them to not know because they, they shouldn't have to. Like, they shouldn't have to know what a rifle platoon leader does and, and how it's different from a scout platoon leader. Um, it, it's your job to, to put it into terms that they, they can understand. And that's true. I think in interacting with peers and, and, you know, coworkers, it's also especially true when you're, when you're interviewing for jobs. Um, Cause if the recruiter can't listen to you and understand what you're talking about, that's, that's a problem, obviously. So what um kind of, kind of, I want to talk a little bit about going to that interview, like the, that statement you just made with the interviews. Um, and also just when you're interacting people either currently in your corporate job, in your internship, um, or when you were interacting with your classmates at your MBA, like how did you adjust something that I found that I've struggled with is um, I got out of college and I ended up my first job. I was leading way more people than I had any right doing. Like they were like, Hey, welcome 22 year old. <laughs> Right. Here's a 
here's like 60 people and their well-being like right good luck um and then you get out of the military and you're like i've led x number of people or i've like you've done real things but they don't always translate to the civilian side um and even if they do people don't look at you like you're this like fountain of knowledge and leadership experience they're just like sure yo that's dave or billy this is just bill i'm just billy the guy and uh right. sometimes that's justified and i think that sometimes that's completely okay but i've had to i've really struggled with like owning that sometimes where it's like listen man like i've literally done this and i've had to check myself a couple of times and i'm curious like has that something that you've struggled with especially someone who's literally trained to lead people in combat like that's the like it's a very it's a very specific and high stakes kind of leadership yeah it is for sure and and i think short answer to your question is yes it probably took some getting used to you're you're used to you know kind of like you said from day one like you just you show up and like hey here's 40 people like good luck yeah. yeah, exactly. Good luck. Um, don't don't screw this up. Um, I guess a, a couple things, right? So, uh, from what I've seen in the in the corporate world, the the and with with my vast experience, um, the uh, the general consideration I think is more how many direct reports do you have versus how many people are in your organization. Um, so, you know, as a, as a brand new lieutenant, like, yeah, you've got 40 people in your platoon, but you really have like three or four direct reports. Um, that's a, I think a, 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 a term that, that translates into corporate vernacular a little bit better is how many direct reports do you have? And that's a better uh, assessment, uh, I think of the level of leadership that you were at and is maybe a, maybe a way to kind of humble yourself. Um, Cause you're right. Like I, I, I think the military especially is, is very unique in the position in that it puts young folks into levels of, of we'll say significant responsibility more commonly than probably any other career out there, at least that I can think of. Um, you know, the, the woman that I work for, my boss right now, she's got like four or five direct reports and she's been working for 10 to 15 years professionally. Um, I think that's a much more common story on the corporate side. So if you show up and you're talking to a recruiter and you're like, yeah, I had, you know, 40 people that I was in charge of. It's like, yeah, you did, but like, let's translate it into something that's, you know, maybe a little bit not not that it's not believable but it's not if you're 20 and and you're not you know the ceo of the company you founded you're probably not actually in charge of 40 people um at least not in the way that you would be in a corporate setting um the military is very unique in 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 that regard um so i i guess it took some getting used to but uh, for me, I guess looking at it in those terms, like, hey, how many direct reports do I have in the military? Um, the answer is not that many. At any of the levels I was at, it wasn't it wasn't a ton. And so, in that way, I guess when I, you know, am working for someone now, I, I kind of 
I guess, use that to, to help mentally contextualize it a little bit. Um, another thing I guess I would add is that, again, don't have extensive corporate experience yet, right? But what I have gleaned pretty quickly is that people don't really care how many direct reports you have. They care mostly about what value you bring to their project or their team. Um, you know, are, are you helping or hurting the bottom line, um, to put it in very black and white terms? Um, and if, if any of what you're doing is negative, it's, it's bad. Um, and I think that's a, a way to maybe remove the, oh, well, I'm not doing as well now because I don't have as many people that I'm managing or whatever. If you're helping the company, you're probably doing a good job at the level that you're at. Um, and I think that's, you know, maybe a way to, to help remain humble. Because um, like I said, the, the, the military is just very unique in that you're not put in charge of that many people that early in your career, really anywhere else. Um, and I think it's important to kind of recognize that and, and help manage your own expectations in that way. Yeah, no, I think that's a, I think that's great advice. And yeah, I think the only thing that I would add to that for people out there listening is like, we have really cool, unique experiences and in the military. And I think, and it's awesome. That being said, as you transition out and you shift yourself from, in my case, it's Billy, the cyber warfare officer to Billy, the consultant, individual contributor consultant. Um, my life then in the military was great. And I definitely take pride in that. Uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean that people should respect me in this new, this new version of me. Um, because I mean, while it was cool, like you said, I think really well is people care about how like your demonstrable hard skills, um, and your demonstrable leadership ability only after you've shown that it's worth your time. Like talk is cheap, but yeah. deliverables are king. And so just understand that like people aren't, you're not going to show up to a place and say like, I was a, I was a Colonel and I did da 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 or whatever. And people can be like, Oh my God, that's amazing. Like here, like you, you're walking on water already. So <laughs> right. just, uh, and I think, I think that, especially if you are in a position of leadership in the military, it's really hard to recalibrate, especially if you end up in an individual contributor role because you were used to having that earned authority. And then when you get out, you might not anymore. And that's just the reality of what it is. Yeah. And I guess you're right. You might not, but, but I guess what I would offer is, is you have the, that sort of earned authority, because of your rank, because of your position, et cetera, in the military, you, you get that earned, you know, reputation, level of respect, whatever, however you want to phrase it in, in the civilian specter by delivering results. And so if you're, I guess, having doubts or concerns about the level of respect you're being offered, I would, I would offer that, you know, maybe you take a look in the mirror and, and the results that you're, you're yielding are not up to snuff. Um, and that's a very blunt way of putting it, but like, the, it, it, I mean, you, you but it's yeah, true, it's true. I mean, it's, it's yeah. just, yeah, it's just, it's just the reality is like, you're not going to be 
lauded because of your rank in in the corporate world and that's very not that you should be lauded in the military for your rank either um but it's kind of built into some of the tradition and the it's a very hierarchical structure it's very rank oriented um the the corporate world from what i've gathered is is very different it's much more collaborative you know i i the the folks that i interact with every day whether it's you know the folks I work with as peers or the VP that I fall under at a very high level, like we're all pretty much on a first name basis. The dynamic, the social dynamics very different, um, but you get respect, you know, up and down by delivering results and, and performing at a high level. Um, that's true in the military too, but, but the, the respect component, I guess, is, is upfront purely because of rank. Um, I guess whether you keep it in the military is based on your performance. Um, the the respect is not necessarily there up front in the corporate world. Hopefully, you're a decent person and you're just being respectful to others and your peers. But um, the the respect, I guess, for what you bring to the table is is gained by what you bring to the table. Um, so yeah, I guess in in that way, it's very different. It's a it's certainly a different dynamic. That's awesome. Um when so when you when you started working in uh when you started working in the corporate world um something that i found in myself is that the military is very all-consuming like it's not just a job like it's we feel like it's just a job when we're in the military but it's really not it's uh it's a lot of other things um so when you finally got your first job outside of the military did you have any issues like I guess kind of, I don't know how to really put this, like it's not a one for one switch. So how did you deal with the fact that like working for Lowe's is really kind of just a job uh, versus when you were in the military, your job kind of has this whole attached purpose and some other things to it. And uh, what, what was that transition like for you? Um. I'll be honest, I don't know if I've ever really thought about that. Um, uh, I think the, the army, like it's, and the military in general, and this is true of probably a handful of other professions, whether you're a firefighter, a police officer, you know, any kind of like public service role, I guess, where you're, you know, part of a, a your individual contributions make a, a significant impact, I guess, to the, the greater good. And, and you're, you know, a small cog in a, in a larger team. There's a bunch of expressions that you can use to describe it. Um, uh, I, I think that's true in a corporate setting too. It's just the, the context and what it looks like is very different. Like my work at Lowe's is not, you know, keeping someone safe at night. Like, it's just not like I'm, I'm, I'm willing to acknowledge that. Right. Um, but the, the, the aspects of being part of a broader team, um, you know, contributing to the success or failure of a team, um, that dynamic I think still exists in most civilian settings. If you, I guess, choose to look at it that way. And for me, that was a big draw to being in the army was, was, you know, being on a team and leading teams. Um, so uh, there's certainly 
some some dissimilarities, but I think there's probably more similarities there than, than maybe you'd think. Um, <clears throat> I don't know. I, I guess I'm struggling with it because I, I – I yes, mean, if, it's, if it's not it's something life, you've encountered, it's not something. Well, you've so it is. the The army is is lifestyle consuming. We'll say right because, like, and I've touched on it already. Like, you wake up early in the morning to go to PT. You come home, you eat breakfast, you go back to work. You're at work till seven o'clock, and then you come home. You're still in your uniforms. You got to take your uniform off. And like, it's just it's it is probably a little bit more we'll say consuming than other career paths. And then when you're out in the field, like in my case, like it's it's nonstop however long you're out in the field right um because you're out sleeping on the ground and in the woods like it's there's no escaping it um so that dynamic's very different from you know the corporate world where now i'm like in the office at eight o'clock and at five o'clock like i close the laptop and i drive home um beyond that though i don't know that it's that dissimilar um i think at least from my perspective, right? Like I worked hard in the army. I worked long hours when I needed to work long hours, if that's kind of what the job called for. Um, there were some days in the army where I went home early cause I was done with work for the day and I, and I left the same is kind of true now, right? Like if I need to stay at work till six o'clock cause I got a project that I need to finish and it has to be on the VP's inbox by the next day, like I stay and I finish it. Right. Um, the, the sort of pressures just associated with professional life exist in both realms. Um, so I, I guess for me, that's kind of why I struggle with it is it's work, work shouldn't be your life, but if you devote a significant amount of time to your work, whether it's in the army or in the civilian world, obviously the type of work is probably going to be different, but I don't know that the, the lifestyle change is, is maybe that significant. I'm just wearing different clothes. Yeah. No, that's awesome. I think that, <laughs> I, don't, that, I, mean, I don't wear, I don't wear camo to work anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um, they, uh, yeah, no, I, I think that's a, I think it's a great perspective and it's like, if, um, I think it's a good perspective that you have where it's like, you see, you've always seemed to see your work as work. And so therefore transitioning from army work to, Lowe's work wasn't that crazy of a shift for you, which I think is important for people. Yeah, to and and understand. It, it, take this for what it's worth, right? When I was in the military, I always when I when I got home at the end of the day, I tried to be pretty conscious. General rule of thumb, but but generally tried to be very conscious of when I came home. I'm taking off my boots. I'm taking off my uniform. I'm going to put on normal civilian clothes that you know don't have cross rifles on it. Like I'm not going to wear, uh, I never got into like the, the grunt style clothing that is very popular, but like, I just, uh, for me, it was, it was a way to kind of mentally disconnect from what I did as my day job when I was at home. Right. Um, and, and are there aspects of the military that are somewhat all consuming? Yes. Like you're asked to go do, we'll say extracurricular things in, in the army that you just wouldn't be asked to do in the civilian world. Um, but I'm asked to do things in the civilian world that I probably was never asked to do in the army either. Um, so it just, there's differences and, and 
I don't know. I don't know if I've answered your question. For no, me, no. I for think me, it's... for me, work has always just kind of been work. Right? Yeah, which I think, uh, I think, in and of itself, I think is the answer. Which is true. the like, yeah, if fair. you, if you as if you're out there listening to this, like, and I think that where you're at is where I think people who are transitioning out of the military need to be. Where like your work really just should be work, and that's the healthiest way that you can leave the military because if you. If it's not, if it's more than that, if it's like my work is my purpose and then you leave and you don't find a good one-to-one representation of that work out in the civilian world, then you're going to be like, what am I doing? And I think that that's rough for some people. Yeah. And I guess what I would offer, right, is is yes, work is work. I, I, I would agree with that. You don't want your work to be like, a complete nuisance and, and like impact your well being, Right. So like I had the good fortune of really enjoying what I did in the army. I have the very good fortune of really enjoying the work that I do now. I find it very fulfilling. It's intellectually stimulating. Like it has a lot going for it. Right. But at the end of the day, like I'm not at home living on my email. Like I unplug from the computer at the end of the day and like I hang out with my wife and kids. Um, if it is all consuming in the military, I would, I would, whether you're thinking about getting out now or not, I would caution you against that just because I think it probably does make your, your, when the day does come that you get out and it comes for everyone, whether you retire or get out in five, if the army is your personality and it suddenly goes away, that, that makes for a struggle, right? Um, I, I think it's important to just have like a well-balanced life. Um, and that's true in any, in any profession. I think in the military, it's easy for it to become all consuming because we all wear that. We wear, you know, a uniform to work. That's, you know, very distinctive. We have certain job requirements that are very specific to what we do. Like in no other profession, am I going to be asked to go hang out in the woods for 10 days unless I work for the forest service. Right. So like, yes, I guess there are some aspects to being in the military that could lend themselves to it becoming all consuming, but I would, I would caution the listener against that. Right. Like, no, I think that's, I, I think that is phenomenal advice. And, um, I definitely, I, I mean, I really think that that's a primary mission of this podcast is to get people to start grappling with these kinds of questions before the transition um, or if it's something that you're struggling with after your transition, at least you can kind of hear other people's takes and opinions on it, which I think is uh, which you're doing right now, which is fantastic. Sure. Um, kind of a question that I'll have for you then. Um, what are things that you have done post? Uh, I know you talk about exercise a lot, which I think is I, I love I love working out. It's something that I do every single day. Um, what? do you, what have you done post transition outside of your job to either build community or find fulfillment, um, in your life? I know you have a wife and you have two kids, so I don't know how much time you have, uh, outside of your job, they, but they occupy a lot of it. Yeah. Um, I'll be honest. Yeah. Um, so sure. Family man, like I like, like hanging out with my wife and kids that, that does occupy a lot of my, my, we'll say free time outside of work. I do like to run. Um, it's sort of one of the few, 
I can't go do heavy deadlifts at the gym yeah. anymore for fear of shattering my spine. Yeah. Again. You don't have um, a lot of vertebrae left to give. Right. To the cause. right. Well, yeah. I want to keep the ones that I have. Right. Yeah. Um, I could, I can go lift and I, I still do. Um, I just, I don't, I don't lift the kind of weight I used to. Yeah. Which is a smart decision. Caution. You're making in um, a very, you're making a right. very mature it's a, it's decision. It's a calculated here. decision. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I do go run. I go run a good bit. Um, uh, I don't run fast. I never ran fast, even in the army. Um, I just, for me now it's, it's time to clear my head and it's good for you. Right. Um, and you feel good after it, even if you don't like running, which I kind of fall into that boat. Um, I like golf. Um, I can still swing a golf club, not well. Um, but you know, you go to the range every few weeks and smack some balls and you feel better afterwards. Um, so that, between those three things, uh, golf, family, running, not in that order, uh, it, that, that occupies a good bit of my time. Um, we go to church, um, uh, you know, so faith is, is important to me and, and to my family. Um, that occupies a good bit of time on the weekends, as you can imagine. Um, and then uh, it's not really outside of work, but it's, I guess, extracurricular at work. I'm part of the, uh, in pretty much any corporate world, you're going to find sort of like resource groups, like employee resource groups that typically target a, a particular demographic. I'm part of and have participated in some of the the vet resource groups that are that Lowe's has. And we do, you know, I, I did a, a service project not that long ago with them um, that, you know, served kind of we went and cleaned up a park in, in downtown Charlotte. So uh, stuff like that. And, and that's not really free time so much as it's kind of a, a work extracurricular, but um, it's a way to sort of plug into the veteran community at Lowe's um, and, and also network with folks that I may not otherwise ever really interact with at work. Um, but I guess that's kind of it as far as, as free time, it's, it's running, golf, um, doing weird, like DIY projects from time to time and then hanging out, hanging out with the kids and, and my wife, most importantly. So the, the last question that I, that I'll have for you, um, is for people who I, I think you already kind of covered what you like your primary, like dissociate your identity from work, I think is like a really, I think that's a really great takeaway for people, um, from this podcast, but, um, for individuals looking to transition that are going to transition out of the military, um, what final advice might you give them to kind of mentally prepare for that separation from the military? Um, so I, I think it depends on, on how you're getting out of the military, right? In my case, I didn't really have a choice, right? So it was, it was having to, to mentally be okay with that decision having been made, um, which it was in, in my case, I have a very, very strong support network. My wife is awesome and is, is just perfect in every way. Um, but she was hugely supportive, um, had some, obviously some rough conversations and, and rough moments through all that. Cause it was unexpected. Um, you know, 
leaning on family, mentors, friends um, to kind of help you process that. But then once you have processed it, figuring out a plan and, 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 you know, making the plan is half of it. But then like you kind of talked about earlier, you also want to execute on it. Um, for, for the person who is, I guess, making the choice to get out in, in most cases, I would suspect that that that's a decision that you've made and, and like, it's, you want to go through with that. Um, in that case, I would just caution that that hopefully you've got a plan, right? And if you don't, you you need to come up with a plan. Like getting out of the military, and and this is true of any job, right? You just leave a job and you don't have anything set up to go do afterwards. Like you're kind of setting yourself up for failure. Would be the the advice I would offer. Um, in the military, though, because of some of the you know kind of lifestyle shifts that we've discussed, in addition to the fact that you're now unemployed. Um, I think it's that much more important to have a plan. But what I would also offer is just that you need to really know that you want to get out of the military, right? I absolutely loved my time in the army. I would not trade it away despite what happened for, for anything. Um, I've met, I met some of the best people that I've ever worked with in the army and have made some lifelong friends that's true of any branch of the military that you're going to serve in. Um, and, and the work that I did, I found very fulfilling and, you know, came home and, and could, you know, rest, rest my head on a pillow at night and, and feel good about what I was doing with my life. Um, so I guess if you are getting out and, and know that's the route you want to go, make that decision, you know, soberly and 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 with a good bit of thought behind it and then like i said just have a plan and and execute on that plan it may not be going to grad school in my case that's the route i went to i went and and i don't have any regrets for for having gone that path um but regardless of you know what you choose to pursue after the military you got to pursue something right like you can't just go home and sit on the couch um and uh, there were a number of soldiers I had that they were getting out of the army to go home and do just that. And it was always kind of troubling because it's just like, this is not that bad. And, and you're, you're trading away something that's pretty great for what I would argue is not so great. Um, so, and, and everyone has their own circumstances, right? So maybe it is better to go home and sit on the couch, but, um, you can't do that forever. Um, so I, I would say have a plan and, and, and stick to it. Um, and if things change, which, you know, life happens and things, things do change, you've got to be flexible. Um, that's, that's, I guess the second component to what I would offer. Um, in, in my case, and I, I think the, the flexibility piece is especially important if you're getting told you're getting out of the military. Um, cause it, that, that circumstance demanded flexibility. Um, and I like to have a plan. And when the plan changes, I'm not always super happy about it. But um, the if you have some flexibility and are kind of willing to roll with some of the punches, I think it makes the experience maybe a little bit more palatable in, in certain instances. Um, so, yeah, have a. I love it, Dave. Thanks so much. Uh, thanks so much for 
being on today. Um, yeah. And for everyone out there, thanks so much for listening to another episode of the Post Military Podcast. We will catch you on the next one. Peace. <laughs>